Here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Okay, Kenny, it's Friday. It's uh, it's time to ramble a little bit, make it a little uh, lighthearted. Uh, I know that at the end of the show today we play taps, and we've got at least two that I that I'm aware of. Yes. Do you, uh, do you have our list? I do, Brad. We're a, gonna, we're okay. gonna remember our friend Donovan George Goldblish, eighty two oh, yes. from Gilbert, uh, U.S. Army National Guard. He was. Uh, my goodness, he was a big contributor to the show. Great and bird lover, great bird lover. I miss, really, a, he loved his birds. He really did. He was just a fresh of breath there. Donovan Goldblish and Terrence Claremont, U.S. Army, a Korean veteran, two bronze stars. Brad, ninety-two from the Bemidji area. His son Alan called us. Terrence Claremont will remember as well. All right. You know, I've got an update for you on a story that some of you may have followed. Uh, over in Wisconsin, we had a, uh, a state representative over there, uh, Janet Bailey, that was driving home. She's the Senate minority leader over there. And she was driving home one day, happened to have her daughter in the car with her, and she had a horrific accident uh, with another driver. But now the information has come out, a Pennsylvania woman Killed in a crash involving uh, state senator minority leader Janet Bailey, the Pennsylvania woman was driving at 100 miles an hour just before the collision, according to records obtained by the Ashland Daily Press. Now, the reason I bring this up because I saw the, the accident uh, photo. Uh, right, right there as you're leaving or coming into Ashland, whichever you want to say, I guess it would be as you're coming in. But this car crossed the center line, hit hers literally head-on, going 100 miles an hour just as they were going out of town. Uh, the paper reported uh, reported records from the Minnesota or from the Wisconsin State Patrol show that Ashla Ashla Ortman, 27, was driving 55 miles an hour, 55 over the speed limit before the crash that killed Ortman uh, and her five-year-old daughter. Callie's uh, Fink. Bewley drove one of the three cars involved in the collision that took place July 20th on Highway 2 right outside of Ashland. Bewley 70 was pulled out of a parking area at Ashland Maslowski Beach uh, when Ortman struck the lawmaker from uh, before Ortman's car spun across the highway and was struck by another vehicle driven by 45-year-old Jody Munson. Records show police found a vape pen with Delta-8 THC. It's a psychoactive substance found in the cannabis stavia plant that yields both marijuana and hemp, according to the Food and Drug Administration. Ortman and her daughter sustained fatal injuries from the crash, while Bewley and Munson were transported to a nearby hospital for treatment. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported one of its interns was on the phone with Bewley at the time of the crash. The paper's reporting intern, Ben Baker, said Bewley told him she had cataract eye surgery the day before the accident. But again, it was it has been ruled that Bewley was not the deciding factor in this crash, that it was the woman driving 100 miles an hour, evidently high on some vaping substance, uh, the Daily Press reported that uh, Bewley told police she was sp- she was speaking on a handheld phone uh, in her car at the time of the crash and that her eyesight was fine. In a statement, uh, 
uh, it's heartbreaking event for the community. And uh, the father of the girl who died in the crash filed a wrongful death suit uh, immediately um, against Bewley, but it's not going to be, uh, it's going to be ruled that Bewley was not the deciding or causing factor in this race or in this uh, car accident. So lots of strange things happening. Uh, by the way, we talked this morning at the beginning of the show about this terrible ruling or terrible decision that has been made um, that is going to stop a uh, a wood processing company from uh, opening in Cohasset. And I hope all of you got a chance to read a, a, a response that was in the Duluth News Tribune, uh, I believe on Wednesday, I think it was. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry, it was yesterday on the 9th. Uh, by Ryan Sisted. Ryan uh, Ryan wrote a great piece. Now, Ryan is the executive director of Better in Our Backyard, which promotes responsible industrial development. Responsible industrial development. And his, uh, his editorial piece in the Duluth paper was, Mining opponents refuse to accept that we need more mining. And I'm just going to give you a little excerpts out of this because I thought it was a very insightful, very well-written piece. In her January 25th column in the News Tribune, Lynn Anderson of the Tamarack Water Alliance attempted to convince Minnesotans that the high-grade nickel deposits discovered in the deep bedrock of Aiken County by Talon Metals is actually not needed in the energy transition. She even asserted that Tesla made a mistake by partnering with Talon Metals to source nickel because the company is moving to batteries that don't use nickel and that any day now, President Joe Biden will reverse course and remove nickel from the U.S. critical minerals list. None of this is true. The most obvious error in the column was that Tesla is pivoting to batteries made with lithium ion and phosphates L. LFP and abandoning uh, batteries that rely on nickel to store electricity. The claims timing was even worse than its mistruths. Just a day before the column's publication, Tesla announced a major new expansion of its gigafactory in Nevada, reinforcing its investment in that state. The announcement indicated that Tesla would invest $3.6 billion more to continue growing Gigafactory Nevada, adding 3,000 new team members and two new factories, including a 100-gigawatt 4680-cell factory, which is in a Tesla 4680 battery, a long-range battery that utilizes both nickel and cobalt. Now, Anderson seems to feel she understands Tesla's supply supply chain requirements better than Elon Musk or Tesla executives is uh, is astonishing to me, but I appreciate her leap of faith. To the column's point, Tesla is expanding its use of LFP, but at present the only place to source an LFP battery is in China. LFP is a good fit for cars in cities that don't need a lot of range. What the column didn't seem to want to acknowledge was that Talon and Tesla will produce battery-grade iron that will hopefully feed new LFP battery manufacturing capabilities in the U.S. and the Department of Energy just funded an LFP battery cathode 
manufacturing facility in St. Louis, Missouri. In the same round of funding in which the department gave Talon $114 million for its battery mineral processing facility, LFP is not a replacement for nickel-based batteries. It augments that technology and is only appropriate for certain uses. This guy knows what he's talking about. Benchmark Minerals, the International Energy Agency, and the U.S. Department of Energy, and the Bloomberg NEF all indicate that nickel demand will increase exponentially as the world works to transition from fossil fuel to renewable sources. What's even more of a head-scratcher was the column's claim that the world doesn't really need nickel while also stating that we should keep any high-grade nickel in Aiken County in the ground to be saved for future generations. Which is, it? Which is it? Is it a worthless deposit or a treasure to be saved for our kids? In Minnesota, we have high standards to protect the environment. Native American cultural resources, worker safety requirements, rights for workers to organize and collect a bargaining, and on and on. Make sure that we do the work right in Minnesota when we go after a battery-grade nickel. At the end of the day, Anderson didn't seem to care that renewable energy technologies, including electric vehicle batteries, require the very minerals that Talon wants to reasonably, responsibly mine or that Talon is willing to invest billions and hire locally in a region that hasn't experienced economic growth in decades. So there you go. Another another example of what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. We have an opportunity down in the Aiken area for a real investment in the future, real good paying jobs. And we better make sure we don't lose that one like they lost the wood processing plant. Kenny, we got to take our first break here of hour number three. Let's do that and then we'll come back with more. Kenny, we have a we have another in studio guest this well, morning. Well, yeah, Brad, we're kind of having a little celebration tour here. This is your last day on WDSM, and you're going to be on KDAL starting Monday. And we thought we'd bring in uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, well, he's been in the biz for 55 years, Brad. He's been in this market for 44, and we'll let you chat with Rick Jordan. Hello, Rick Jordan. How you doing, Ricky? Pretty good. I knew you couldn't last. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I know you'd start off that you know, way? I just had a funny feeling. What's kind of cool, in our basement, hanging on the wall, I've got your signature twice. Really? Yeah, when you were uh, school superintendent. When I was on the school board? School board yeah. president, yeah. My two boys graduated. Now, Brad and Rick, we have somebody that might want to challenge you. 55 years Uh-oh. in the biz for Rick Jordan. Dave Strandberg, are you going to challenge 55 years? You can't. You can't. Because no, we I went was, to school yeah, at the same time. Yeah, but I was in radio before we went to school. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was a yeah, I was a, a junior in high school when I started part time on my Antigo radio station WATK. That's Antigo, Wisconsin, God, yes. Brad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny, listen to that radio Jeez. voice. Yeah, he's got to it. That radio got voice. It. <laughs> okay, yeah. Brad, there you go. Uh, how's your radio That's voice something. doing? M- mine's doing okay, I think. One um, year ago, February fourth. Last year, your last show, on, last WDSM. show on WDSM. And I do and have. And then a- we started. We started February seventh over on this station, KDL. And guess what? That was that was my anniversary date for my and uh, Kathy's wedding. Oh, February seventh. 
Well, well real quickly, seven. here's the introduction of last year's show, your first show on KDAL. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, Northlanders. And uh, as far as Kenny and I are concerned, we're going to apologize to you right up front if we uh, are a little bit out of sync today because this is the first time we've done a show in this format. Um, but we're going to make it happen. There you go, Saul. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And and I got to thank everybody who has... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was confusing for people for us to be leaving one station after many, many years on that and coming over to a different one. But I got to thank so many of you for following us along because uh, the I understand from people that the numbers are out and that KDL's numbers are very good. And that means you've followed us over and that you're, uh, you're appreciative and we're appreciative of you doing that. So thank you so much for that. Now, Kenny couple of things. couple of quick sports notes before we go to CBS. Guess who the NFL Offensive Player of the Year is? You know. Of course you know. Justin Jefferson. Minnesota Vikings own Justin Jefferson. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. The guy with the goggles. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And then, then I got to say this. I sat up last night and watched the Wild. That team has got some troubles. They that do. team has they got do. some issues. Yeah. Say what you want about uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. He's a future Hall of Famer, but uh, his best days are behind him. I think so, because some of those shots last night right through the five hole. Not good. Uh, didn't look it, really it's good. hard to watch, actually, to be honest with you. The Wild got crushed. It really was. By Vegas, their third uh, loss in a row. They lost five to one to uh, start a seven-game homestand. Ouch! How long? Uh, how long do you think it'll be before they we hear of a trade made? Probably not long. I huh? think it's coming up because uh, Matt Dumba is certainly one that's been mentioned, and the Wild. Uh, you know, we're still in this thing as far as get, making the playoffs. So you know, we're still contenders. But yeah. I, I hope it works out, and I hope we don't give up uh, more than we should. But you know, I trust yeah, Bill no Guerin, kidding. but it, it's tough. Brad, the big sports story, though, Super Bowl. Super Which Bowl one is this? Sunday. Yeah, Super Bowl oh, uh, God, 52. Is, is that what it is? Yeah, okay. it's going to be in Arizona, State Farm Stadium. Now, the L.A. Rams beat Cincinnati last year in a great game, 23-20. to Who do you got this year, man? The Chiefs or? I've got Philadelphia. Oh, you're going with the Eagles. You know yes. what? I, I used to live out in that area, and, and I never adopted them as my favorite team, and I'm not going to do that now. I think Kansas City wins this game. Okay. Now they, so what are we going to bet on it? We're going to have a – should we bet a Sammy's Pizza on it? Bet a Sammy's Pizza? No. I don't really have a, a horse in the race. It's just kind of a fun thing for me. Well, neither do I, actually. No. But I, but I do have a neighbor down here who was originally from the Philadelphia area, she is nuts for the Eagles. Absolutely <laughs> Well, Caesars Sportsbook lists, and this is what I have the latest. I don't know. This could change, maybe. Philadelphia, a one-point, one-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under, or the total number of points, Vegas thinks it will be scored as, uh, as 51 points, uh, Eagles versus the Chiefs. That's the over-under, yep. And then Philadelphia wow. is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Well, it should be worth watching, that's for sure. Uh, you know, and, of course, it's always fun to watch these games to see the goofy uh, uh, commercials and everything else. And, oh, by the way, during that game, you're going to see some more of those uh, Jesus Loves Us commercials, which, by the way, there's a story out today that said that this uh, this whole ad campaign about the... Uh, 
uh, Jesus was a, an immigrant too and all that is, is from a very, um, very manipulative organization that really wants whoa, you whoa, to... Whoa. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to find the story here. In fact, let's do this. Let's take our CBS News break and I'll come back with this story. Sound off with Brad Bennett. The best Valentines are spoken. You guys are great. I love listening, okay? KDAL time is 1.38. And uh, Brad, you want to give a kiss back? Yes. Next Tuesday, (laughs) Valentine's Day. Absolutely. Got to do it right. Well, listen, this story I'm referring to, I, you know, I read this again just now, and I'm not sure it really even tells us who this is. It says it's an advertising or an advocacy fund group, a donor adv- advised fund. And what that is, is that's a fund that allows rich people to funnel money into the organization with little to no accountability. It says campaigns like these have allowed oil and energy companies to fund climate change misinformation in the past. The signatary, in particular, has previously spent money on the Alliance Defending Freedom, Answers in Genesis, Campus Crusade for Christ, and the Al-Hayat Ministries, all of which seem to have the goal of promoting right-wing Christianity and their agendas. So they say that we're going to see... Probably during the Super Bowl, we're going to see about $100 million of advertising that will air uh, either during the game, right before the game, uh, saying things like, uh, Jesus, yes, Jesus is the, is the reason uh, he's, he gets us, uh, you know, whether you're a drug addict, whether you're a, a refugee, an illegal alien, Jesus gets us and we should accept everybody. It's a campaign uh, from a group of individuals that are pushing this, making it seem like advertising for Jesus is like advertising for a new iPhone or a new car. Um, the, the, so who is advertising uh, in the Super Bowl? Well, they say there's a, a number of organizations that they know have kicked into this uh, donor-advised fund. And they they reference people such as Chick-fil-A, uh, Hobby Lobby, but they're not sure because these people do not need to put out uh, actually lists of who is uh, donating to this. What They're spending millions of dollars on these ads instead of charities. Um, and this writer of this story says, might be better off putting it into charities. I think spending that much money, again, is a kind of admission on their part that there's a problem. The problem is, is that... Uh, People attending religion congregations are on the decline, and they're trying to use some kind of technique like this as a way of getting uh, people back involved in churches. Evangelicals are having a conflict uh, with their personal politics and their religious values. Uh, And they they go on to say that, uh, but there's something even more insidious to these ad campaigns. When you go to a website affiliate, They have options for finding congregations near you, but the site doesn't vet any of the churches. For example, if you, uh, Watson pointed out that if you are a closed, a closeted gay person and you end up, uh, you want to go to a church that accepts that therapy or that, uh, that type of lifestyle, you might end up with a church that totally is against that lifestyle. So they don't do a very good job of matching people up. 
uh, writing the campaign off as a cringe or failed uh, because advertising the product, if you if you have to advertise the product, you've already failed. That's what they're saying here. I wish I could write it off as a, as a bad uh, thing, but the Christian right is disconnected from the average Americans. At least this writer thinks that. Uh, and it says it pretends to be caring and removed from politics when in, and when in fact the opposite is actually true. They are very much involved in political agendas. See, so, Brad, we, we, we do have yes. some breaking news. In the last Ooh. hour, the US, uh, a U.S. fighter jet took down another balloon, this time over Alaska. And uh, this is now uh, starting to unfold as we speak. But top Biden administration officials say the U.S. military downed another high-altitude balloon that flew over American airspace. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby said the Department of Defense tracked a balloon over Alaska in the last 24 hours. He said the balloon posed a reasonable threat to civilian flight, and President Biden ordered the military to uh, take the object down. Now, boy, this is uh, this is going to raise a lot of hackles because you know what, Kenny? They have found on the materials that they have been uh, getting out of the Atlantic Ocean so far. They have found electronic devices that lead the military to believe that this balloon had the capability of long-range communications with China, and that it was very maneuverable, and that it was here on nothing more than a full-out spy mission. Well, this is really disturbing to some degree, Brad, because early on, before, I think it was before this balloon, the initial balloon was shot down, maybe shortly after, President Biden downplayed it and said all these things go on all the time. And he said, oh, we didn't shoot it down over land because what if it landed on a school? Yeah. Uh, What? I saw that. that. In the desolate regions of Alaska or Montana? You don't have the knowledge to know that you can shoot it down and not hit a school? There's something weird going on here with the president and all this China balloons now, Brad. That's incredible that they have shot down a second one. Boy, that's going to be something to watch China's response to this because you would think that after the first one that they might have just laid back a while, wouldn't you think? They may have laid back and said, well, we better check and see what the uh, what the political nature of what's going to happen here. But they didn't. They immediately sent another balloon to follow up on that one. I think I think this is a, a, a tactic by China. And this is just the start before they invade Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. You, and when they hit Taiwan, feel that. I think they're going to hit some very strategic targets that are going to have severe effects on the U.S. Well, we we uh, have a long-term policy with Taiwan going way, way back that we will defend them in the case of an attack. So, you know, I think uh, Biden is going to be obligated to live by that. And that, uh, well, I'll tell you what, that's that's going to uh, certainly take the emphasis off of uh, off of Russia and uh, Ukraine. There's now, no doubt about that. What does this? There was news shortly after the first sh- uh, balloon was shot down. There was another one down in the what was it? They said Latin South America. Yeah, South yeah, America, Latin, Latin America. America. Yeah. Where's that balloon? Exactly. What happened to that? Where did that end up? Interesting stuff. 
Do you know, let me just, uh, uh, I know we've, we're coming I wonder up if there's a surprise in store for the Super Bowl. Oh, God, Kenny, don't say that. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. Well, I did see a, a piece this morning that said that security has never been firmer than it is this year at the, at the Super Bowl. In other words, yeah, and I'm not more, suggesting that something more security out. Yeah, I'm not suggesting something at the venue, but something to distract to draw during attention. Yeah, the Super Bowl. Yeah. Wow. Because Biden's not happy because Fox rejected him on a sit down <laughs> during the Super Bowl. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. caught this or not. I did. I did. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. <laughs> Uh, Fox. Well, you know what has happened. You know what has happened, Kenny, since the other night when when uh, Sarah Sanders did the rebuttal on uh, Biden's State of the Union. Have you seen the attacks that have happened against her? Oh yeah. There, there's a there's an old old story, I guess, back from about 2008, uh, when uh, Sanders' father, Mike Huckabee, ran for president during the campaign. Evidently, a story emerged that Sanders' brother viciously had killed a dog in the late 1990s. We're going back now over 20-some years when he was a counselor at a Boy Scout camp. And they've come out now, evidently, that a a photo has uh, shown up of Sarah Huckabee with a dog and and a shotgun where she's going to go out hunting. And, uh, and it's smiling, shows her smiling, and a caption pictured, almost Friday. In other words, when Friday comes around, I like to take the dog. We go out into the wooded swamp and do some uh, hunting for birds. Well, now they're, they're, they're trying to use this old story of her brother from over 20 years ago, uh, somehow indicating that maybe she shouldn't be around dogs and a gun. You know, they're trying to... They're trying to, uh, uh, they obviously see her as a threat already, as a threat to the, uh, for future, or maybe uh, because some people have come out and said, you know, there's a lady that might uh, might just be a presidential candidate herself someday. And maybe they're looking at this and saying, well, we need to cut her legs off at the knees before she gets too much popularity going here. Why? Because this is just strange. What, killing dogs? Well, yeah, the whole idea of going back 20 years, because the story is not very clear from 20 years ago. What is her take on um, killing the unborn? When killing what? The unborn. Yeah, well, she's not a, she's not for that at all. She's a huge opponent of not uh, having abortions. Uh, I don't know. This is going to be, uh, this is not a very attractive way to uh, go after somebody, to uh, use some story from 20 years ago. And and they don't even know uh, how this happened with her brother, whether it was, uh, whether the dog was doing something that, uh, that the, uh, you know, it was happened while he was a Boy Scout counselor, evidently at some camp. And they still to this day don't know what the actual thing was whether he put the animal out of misery, whether it was suffering from something. They have no idea. It, uh, according to Snoops, there is no question that Sanders' brother killed the dog, but they they have no idea or or at least don't put forth a, a story about how it happened. So it's, it's a sad, uh, I mean, it's just negative politics that happens all the time. 
Anyway, we've got to go to our Minnesota news break, and then we'll come back with more here on Sound Off on a Friday afternoon. KDAL time is 156, 23 degrees at the Army Corps of Engineers. Final moments of the uh, of Sound Off. And Brad, uh, are you wearing your flannel shirt today? Because it is National Flannel Day. Are you kidding me? If I had a flannel shirt on here, I'd be sweating to death. It's 83 and sunny. Well, I've got mine on, uh, and yeah, you're right. It is kind of silly if you'd be wearing one, but I've got mine on. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, listen, uh, please, just give me the heads up when uh, it's time to shut up and do the honorable thing and listen. Well, Brad, really, you've got about 30 seconds. Okay. Then uh, all I want to do is I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to us for the last year or so. It's showing in the ratings. We uh, appreciate that. And we will try to keep uh, uh, building your uh, trust by getting you all kinds of stories on a regular basis. We'll be back uh, Monday, as always, right here on 610 KDAL with uh, more sound off, as always. And I hope you all have an enjoyable weekend. Watch the Super Bowl, but don't go crazy with it. Don't bet a whole lot. Okay, of money okay. So, who, who do we have to win the Super Bowl? I think Kansas City wins. I think Philadelphia. Ooh. Well, we'll see Monday. <laughs> yep, we will. All right. Thanks, buddy. Talk see ya. to you then. Bye. And the names for taps today two men we're going to remember who recently passed away our friend Donovan George Goblish. And Alan called to have us remember his father, Terrence Claremont, the two names for TAPS.